in the past few months, we have, or weeks, we have uh, been reading and taking our sermon lessons from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. It is uh, one of the most wonderful uh, letters of Paul in the New Testament. I say that about them all, (laughs) but uh, Ephesians just contains so many memorable expressions that are dear to us. And so uh, this morning, I'm going to read something for us from his very last chapter, six in that, and uh, we will share some thoughts about that and meditate on that as I present some uh, expressions of that. Let us pray first for understanding for God's Spirit to help us understand His Word. Lord, we do uh, pause and, and seek Your face and ask Your, uh, your assistance uh, for us as we open Your Word and read and uh, listen to what You have spoken to us uh, through all the parts of your scriptures for us and through all those who set them down in writing for us. Uh, We thank you for uh, speaking to us and wanting us to understand, um, enlighten our own minds and move our hearts through the power of your spirit dwelling within us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the sermon text begins in uh, Ephesians 6, uh, verse 10, uh, with this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness as shoes for your feet put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace with all of these take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one take the helmet of salvation And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Thanks be to God for His Word. Now, uh, the sermon is titled, Sheep, It's Not a Compliment. And uh, when I sent this uh, worship information to Tyler to put into slides and um, he he had to check back with me. He said, uh, "Harry, are you sure you want you want this uh, text about the armor of God with your sermon about sheep?" <laughs> uh, 
I said, yeah, it does look kind of weird, doesn't it, <laughs> Tyler? So um, it is. And if you'll stay with me, we'll see how the two uh, strange partners here come together. Sheep, it's not a compliment. But I can hear you say, uh, but wait, Harry, um, God calls me a sheep. God calls me a sheep. Uh, I love Psalm 23. In fact, it is one of the most well-known passages in all of Scripture. Uh, Most people memorize that more than anything else. And we are clearly referred to as sheep there. We love the psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I will not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. And we love this part. Though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. Yes, being a sheep is meaningful to me. We also read Psalm 100. We just did in our call to worship. Know that the Lord is God, is he that has made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. There it is, Harry, right there. And um, some of you who are really up on your New Testament might remember very well that in John 10, gospel according to John, 10th chapter, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. The whole chapter is about him being the good shepherd for us. And we are the sheep. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, Harry. Sheep is not a compliment. Well, we really ought to know what what God means by sheep. And so um, I put an appropriate photo of one up up on the screen for you. Uh, Sheep have been domesticated for many centuries. Uh, They've been known over and over by generation after generation, anybody dealing with them and the general public, as not too bright. (laughs) Uh, They are defenseless. You may have not ever thought about that. Very few of us keep a flock of sheep in our backyard. Um, but they are defenseless. Among all of the animals, uh, they are among the few that have no way to protect themselves. Uh, when they're young, they've got a little speed, but as they get older and packed with all that wool, they're, they, they're not too light of feet. <laughs> they cannot bite. They are, they're defenseless. They are vulnerable, vulnerable to attack and predators. Uh, They are easy to panic. They are their own worst enemy. Isaiah, however, understood why God calls us his sheep. Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Sheep are perfect for a parable about getting lost and being lost. The real reason we are compared to sheep is that we too are helpless to save ourselves. 
We are wise to admit we are like sheep. We were like sheep before God came into our lives, before we really gave ourselves to him. Uh, We remain, we have a lot of sheep-like characteristics that hang on. That's one of the reasons we confess every time we gather. Um, We are wise to admit we are like sheep and understand how far we too have wandered from what God intended for us to be. But when the Good Shepherd rescues us, he does so to change the metaphor from sheep to a number of other things, beginning even in the Old Testament. Isaiah also wrote, Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So we're sheep, but also we're supposed to become eagles in our relationship with the Lord. Um, An eagle with its freedom, with its power, uh, with its strength. Um, it's, it's, it's something we uh, are proud to have uh, as an insignia of our nation. We debated between sheep or a sheep or an eagle, and we went with the eagle. We're not, uh, yes, we have been known to be not too bright at times, but we're picking up the pace. Um, so, Fast forward now all the way up into the first century from Isaiah's time in the sixth century before Christ and then into the time of Christ. Look at the new metaphor that we are given uh, of who we are instead of sheep. And so here's a different photo than this silly sheep. It is Uh, a photo of of some present-day people dressed as best as historical research can help us understand what the equipment of a Roman soldier looked like in the first century as Paul was writing to those Ephesians. This picture is what he had in mind. And so let's go back to the text and... uh, Look again at the word of God for us in the letter to the Ephesians. So he said, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God um, so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God. We saw those pictures of uh, Roman soldier imitators standing there, not just with a helmet. We're ready to go to battle. And, uh, and, and not with just a, a spear, but no helmet, no breastplate. They had it all. Uh, they had the things that Paul describes as the whole armor of a, uh, a soldier in the first century army of Rome and uh, what we are to put on. So, um, and he says, so that we may be able to stand Stand against uh, the wiles of the devil. Stand again. By the way, for those of you who may not have heard me mention this uh, 
devil comes, is an English word translating the Greek word diablos, and uh, the Greek word translated uh, the uh, Hebrew word, which also appears in, in English, Satan. That word actually is a Hebrew word, Satan, and it means uh, a, a uh, opponent, one who opposes you. So uh, the next uh, thing Paul said, he began to describe six parts of the armor. He says, uh, stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist. You may wonder, why was the belt important? It's because other parts of the armor were attached and coordinated by the belt. The belt held, held was fastened to the breastplate, uh, sometimes to uh, the parts that protected the upper leg. Uh, the belt held the sword. Uh, the belt was an important part of that. And Paul says that important coordinator of the rest of the armor is truth. So we're to, we're to see the parts of the armor, but we're to see also what Paul says that represents for us. So the belt is truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness that protects uh, the vital parts of a human body. Uh, righteousness is something God imputes to us through the cross of Christ. We are considered righteous even though we're not. We are given the righteousness of Christ. We exchange with him. We give him our sin. He gives us his perfection, his righteousness. When God sees us now, he sees our righteousness. Really, the righteousness of Christ covering us. That is the breastplate. The third thing is for your feet. Interesting here, Paul writes, whatever it is that will make you ready to hit the road, <laughs> whatever, whatever you want to wear, whatever is helpful for you to get going, to endure the journey, to carry you. Could be flip-flops, it could be hiking boots, it could be something, it could be track shoes. <laughs> uh, we are to put on whatever will make us ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. The fourth thing he says with all of these, take the shield of faith. Faith protects us from incoming uh, danger, incoming challenges. And as followers of Christ, we will receive the same kinds of opposition that Jesus did. Uh, the Fifth thing is take the helmet of salvation. And finally, he says, the sword of the Spirit. The sword is for defense. The sword is for defense and offense. And the sword is the Word of God. That is such an important thing. The bookends, 
the beginning of the equipment and the end of the equipment are related. The truth of the belt is related to the, the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. Twice, uh, our knowledge of God and God's word to us is powerful equipment for a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus finds us lost, and he returns us to his care. He finds us helpless, and he offers us his power. Jesus finds us vulnerable, and he offers us security. Jesus finds us useless, and he makes us useful. Will we remain sheep, or will we serve him as warriors? Let us now apply this uh, work of Christ in our lives, not only as individuals living by ourselves, for ourselves, but let us apply this as the body of Christ, as members together of Christ's church and members of this church, Grand Lakes. Let us apply this business of moving from sheep to soldier. Uh, from weakness to power, from immaturity to maturity. Uh, Shall we remain spiritual children or shall we grow uh, to Christian maturity? Uh, Do we remain as sheep or baby birds uh, in need of care and feeding and control and uh, a rule by a human authority that is somewhere apart from us and uh, somewhere above us, uh, a human authority? Or do we see ourselves individually uh, and together as mature in Christ and able to feed ourselves and direct ourselves in the mission of the body of Christ? What is our approach to what God calls us to be and do? Uh, What would you choose? Last week, we voted to elect our next class of officers, our elders and our deacons. The Greek word for elder is presbuteros. It is where we drive our word, Presbyterian from elder. Uh, We believe in a representative form of church government. We vote for elders and elders vote to make decisions about the life and mission of our church. It is a practice we should appreciate. Some of us have not grown up in this form of the church. it is really important to understand not just this is a a fun place to be, we like the music and we love the people, but what what underlies who we are and how we go about following Christ. Uh, This practice of a representative form of church government where everyone gets to vote and some of us can be nominated and Uh, elected elders and leaders and elders even vote and they can outvote the minister or the pastors 
anytime. Pastors do not overrule the vote. In the session, a pastor and associate pastor, uh, they are members of the session, but they have one vote along with 12, 14, and I was in a session that had 45 elders. (laughs) So uh, we just get a vote. And it's the way the whole body votes in the session and in the congregation that moves us forward to be faithful disciples of Jesus. This is a practice begun by some of those who led the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century in Europe. Every member has an equal vote in understanding of the body of Christ. We see its beginnings in the early church. We see it being embraced in the modern belief in democracy among many nations. But that kind of practice depends on education. Whether uh, all citizens of a nation or all members of a church, democracy uh, requires education. John Knox was one of the reformers in that 16th century. He was uh, greatly uh, taught by John Calvin, who was in Geneva, Switzerland. Uh, Calvin and Luther are the two big names, but John Knox was in the next generation. Knox carried the ideas of the Reformation to Scotland. Scotland happened to be the poorest of the independent nations during the 16th century. Uh, I have a book that I recommend if you are into boring reading. (laughs) Uh, It's called How the Scots Invented the Modern World. The true story of how Western Europe's poorest nation created our world and everything in it. (laughs) Uh, Arthur Herman was a bit... uh, exaggeration here, but the fact is that the things he describes in here about what was going on in the Reformation, particularly in Scotland, had huge ramifications for the world and for democracy. On the back it says uh, how the current democratic system can be traced back to John Knox and the Presbyterian Church. Why Scottish philosopher David Hume is sometimes considered the real author of the U.S. Constitution. How Scotland became the first modern literate society in Europe. How Scotland invented a system of universal education that became the model for the rest of the world. Knox knew that for the people of Scotland to embrace the fact that they could each have a personal, direct relationship with God through Jesus Christ. They would need to know what God had said in his scriptures. And so he and those who were with him uh, began to establish an education system 
that made uh, Scotland have the first public school in every community 100 years before any other nation in Europe, probably the world. Uh, A church like ours also rests on everyone growing in the light of Christ. Everyone being equipped with the belt of truth and the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Jesus said, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Knowledge of the scriptures is the heart of Christian education strategy of a healthy church, a mature church. Weekly Bible study groups produce real growth and deeper fellowship and caring for one another. I encourage you to be part of one in this church as we go forward. As we start again after a year of pandemic and separation, let us rethink ways we can grow together and become stronger. Uh, Let us choose not to remain as sheep, baby birds, or children, but to grow up to maturity in every way and become a dynamic congregation that knows the word of God and the will of God, the words of Jesus, and the ways of Jesus, and together we guide our church to fulfill uh, the discipleship that Jesus called us to be. We all, in, in this type of church, we all have a, the opportunity to do that and the responsibility to do that. We are happy to be with each other again. We are restarting many parts of our life together again. But everything we do here should be led by the Spirit of Christ in us. Will he find us content to remain as sheep? Or will he find us becoming strong in the strength of his power? I urge you to take seriously the message of Paul to the Ephesians. Put on the whole armor of God by knowing those words and those ways of Jesus better than you ever have before. Amen.